0: Here's today's quote. quote, when the tongue of malice and slander, the persecution of inferiority tempts you for just a moment to retaliate, when for an instant you forget yourself so far as to hunger for revenge, be calm, end quote. And that quote comes to us from William George Jordan, who was born N- March 6, 1864 in New York City and died April 20th, 1928 at the age of 64 years old, also in New York City. Jordan attended City College of New York, and at age 20 began a career as an editor of Book Chat. He would go on to edit numerous other publications throughout his career, and these were likely the most far-reaching and impactful of his life, but he's remembered more for others. Specifically, Jordan had what some might refer to as a distaste for common, the common educational system, and developed his own alternative, which he called mental training. In fact, one fine quote from him on this particular topic, not the quote for today's episode, mind you, but a good one nonetheless, is, quote, Here are two great things that education should do for the individual. It should train his senses and teach him to think. Education as we know it today does not truly do either. It gives the individual only a vast accumulation of facts, unclassified, undigested, and seen in no true relations. Like seeds kept in a box, they may be retained, but they do not grow, end quote. Now, of course, the last line rolls off the tongue and is both quippy and accurate. I like it, and it speaks to what we try to do here, which is not just pass on knowledge to be locked away, but rather to think, to challenge ourselves and our preconceptions, and of course, to grow. And it seems that William George Jordan and I, I guess based on that measure, might have gotten along well. So in addition to editing and developing and lecturing on his own mental training, Jordan also wrote numerous books. Today's quote originated in one titled The Majesty of Calmness, and you can actually find this in PDF form online for free, and it is worth giving it a read, or at least a listen. And it would seem, at least from reading that, that people have always struggled with calmness. Perhaps it's part of the human condition, I don't know. We've seen time and again that the search for peace and quiet and tranquility and escape are near universal pursuits of all mankind. From Thoreau to Roosevelt, Aristotle to Muir, there seems to be this kind of fundamental need for these things. Well, why is that? Perhaps it's in those moments where stimulus is deliberately limited, perhaps gazing out on a pond like Thoreau, or listening to the wind as you stare at a mountain from afar, that our mind, devoid of the rapid-fire onslaught of information, and decision-making, and judgments, etc., etc., that we endure on a moment-by-moment basis that we can finally relax. Like a spring, compressed for an extended period of time, that's finally allowed to extend, and to reach equilibrium, and just kind of be. right. And this this shouldn't sound strange to any of you. Many people claim to have their very best ideas and inventions, and writer's block-busting moments, and personal revelations, as they walk in solitude. I mean, this is such a well-known phenomenon that when student quarters at the University of Virginia, which I've had the pleasure to visit many times, were built, each had a small garden directly attached behind it. And the garden is roughly 40 feet by 40 feet, give or take. And they were specifically designed so that students could get up from their desks and walk in circles, or figure eights, or just wander in those garden spaces, because each is a little bit different. And, notably, they're still accessible to this day to the public. As those students pondered the philosophical, social, and political materials they studied there. It was on purpose. So even back in the early days of the University of Virginia, which was founded by Thomas Jefferson, as a fun aside, there was a recognition that in order to best learn and retain information, that having access to the outside, even a small space was beneficial enough to take the precious land on which the school was built and add gardens for the students to wander in. Rarely, if ever, even today, do you hear someone say that they do their best work in a high-input environment, right? The more things coming at me, the more things flashing, the more sounds I hear, the more conversations going on, the better I think. No one says that. No one says that because it's not true. It's probably why, if you're like me when you were growing up, Whenever your dad was trying to negotiate the streets of the town that you lived in, he would turn down the radio so that he could think. It seems funny, but if you think about it, that's exactly what we're talking about here. We're talking about going outside, turning down the volume on life, and being quiet, and still, and peaceful, and as Jordan would say, calm. Jordan, as I said, understood this, and he went so far as to call calmness, which is, I guess, I would argue a second-order effect of peace and stillness and quiet. He called it majestic. But what about this quote? It's a slightly different take on calmness. And let me read it for you one more time, and then we'll consider its meaning and its implications. So here's the quote again. Jordan says, quote, When the tongue of malice and slander the persecution of inferiority tempts you for just a moment to retaliate when for an instant you forget yourself so far as to hunger for revenge be calm End quote. and that's a fun concept right that's a wild concept even i mean look at the look at the twitterverse right i know we talked a lot about we talk a lot about social media here but it's everywhere why not but in the twitterverse or the social media spheres even the daily news they all seek to grab A cool soundbite, right? Or a quote. Why? For dunking on someone or to, to get the most likes and retweets and shares and follows, etc. Calm words, on the other hand, don't elicit the same response. So, if you're trying to gain notoriety or you're trying to stay famous or become famous, is it calm words of response or sick burns that are going to get you what you're looking for? Exactly. Now, were this book written today and not before the internet was a twinkling in Al Gore's eye—see, we can do sick burns here too, listener— Jordan would say that this is absolutely antithetical to the proper response to these situations, which is, of course, calmness. And naturally, this is a part of a broader theme on this podcast, which is self-restraint. Now, I don't know that I've ever actually come out and talked about self-restraint specifically on the podcast, or even used that term, but— one of my most favorite episodes and quotes that I've done is on Rappaport's rules. And that's way back in the archive. It's episode number nine, if you're curious. And those Rappaport's rules are the physical manifestation of today's quote. It's interesting how these things come in circles like that. But you simply cannot adhere to Rapaport's rules of critical commentary, which you can read that as Rappaport's rules of discourse or discussion, without being called. It just can't be done. Remember, Rappaport's rules, in summary, call on us to 1. restate our opponent's position fairly and eloquently. 2. to list the points of agreement. 3. anything that we may have learned from our opponent before we even begin to utter a criticism. And this is the absolute and complete opposite of nearly all the, quote, cool responses that you see on social media. Right? These are the uncool but calm responses. Much like Clint Smith's teacher from the last episode, that uncool but calm response, right? when we do what Jordan is calling us to do, we model a more honest discourse. But it's rare. We stand, therefore, to benefit more greatly and actually affect change in the world when we remain calm. And admittedly, I fail at this often, as I'm sure you do as well, Some things just really get us going. I had a conversation about that with my wife this morning. There is a specific topic, and I won't talk about it here, but it really just gets my goat. And it really fires me up, and it's almost a visceral response, and it's very hard to rein that in. Thankfully, my wife and I happen to agree on the topic, and so it's not difficult for me around her, but there are plenty of others that don't. And I'd argue that that... Visceral response, that passionate response, is not to be wholly avoided. It's okay occasionally, but it's a worthwhile exercise to consider how often we really do, quote, get going, get fired up, get passionate about things. Is it daily? Perhaps multiple times a day? Perhaps every time we use a certain platform, maybe, or watch a certain program? Are we nearly constantly living in a state of agitation? Because surely that's not healthy. I don't think I have to explain that to you, listener. There are plenty of studies that say that a a life of agitation, a life lived on the edge of anger and malice all the time, is not good for you. It has detrimental effects on our health. And surely we aren't even at our best in that state. But by recognizing and acknowledging how frequently we occupy that space, we can begin to seize control of it and inject deliberately a sense of calmness. We won't always be successful, but if we can reduce the agitations by, I don't know, one per week, perhaps one a month even, we are better, we improve, and we grow. And more broadly speaking, what Jordan is calling us to do is to be the driver of our emotions, not the driven. Living by whatever whims our imperfect emotions thrust upon us is a terrible way to live. Being jerked from one high to another, to a low, to another high. It's a terrible way to live. It's emotionally, mentally, and physically exhausting. Emotions can and should be indicators, but not controllers. And until we can master that, until we can recognize that our emotional knee-jerk response to a situation is rarely the best one, and control for that, and adjust, and decide not to respond in that emotional, knee-jerk way. We'll be living a suboptimal life. So I want to read the quote a rare third time on the episode and include a portion that comes after the quote, as I think it perfectly illustrates the potential cost of being driven solely by our emotions. So here's the extended version of the quote. Quote, When the tongue of malice and slander, the persecution of inferiority, tempts you for just a moment to retaliate, When for an instant you forget yourself so far as to hunger for revenge, be calm. When the gray heron is pursued by its enemy, the eagle, it does not run to escape, it remains calm, takes a dignified stand, and waits quietly, facing the enemy unmoved. With the terrific force with which the eagle makes its attack, the boasted king of birds is often impaled and run through on the quiet, lance-like bill of the heron. The means that man takes to kill another's character becomes suicide of his own, no man in the world has ever attempted to wrong another without being injured in return. Some way, somehow, sometime. End quote. So, listener, I'd say our challenge today is to consider that as we end this episode. The cost of attempting to do another harm results in an injury to ourselves. In some way, somehow, sometime, always. Be calm. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe, this is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod, send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com, find me on Instagram at quotationspod, or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.